welcome. I want to uh, tell you about a special episode today, and it's on Merit Systems Protection Board. And it's based on calls that I've received from you about uh, loss of jurisdiction. This is your host, Alan Edmonds. I'm an attorney that has been practicing uh, Merit System Protection Board law for uh, over 40 years, as well as national security clearance law. And uh, sometimes the two uh, arise together because uh, there can be a loss of a clearance, which will result in a termination of your federal employment, which may give rise then to a MSPB or Merit Systems Protection Board action. Today is uh, a case that I've actually had, and uh, it involves something that's very uh, common, which is called a loss of jurisdiction motion. And this motion is usually brought by the government. And it often arises out of a whistleblower action where an individual has uh, filed uh, a whistleblower complaint because uh, they have information about misconduct. And uh, we're going to go over that today. The Merit Systems Protection Board is an agency that is available to federal employees and covers a wide range of remedies for you as a federal employee. Uh, it can include monetary uh, damages. It can include the payment of attorney's fees. It can, can include uh, reinstatement, just a variety of remedies. And if you have questions, I hope you call us at 800-481-2526. But what I want to talk about is what's on your mind. And what's been on your mind is these uh, loss of jurisdiction motions that get filed against you as a federal employee. And the motion is, uh, is, is very big. It's huge. And it requires a formal response. When I say huge, these motions generally run 10 to 20 pages long. They contain uh, a myriad listing of law, which is primarily the uh, federal statutes that govern Merit Systems Protection Board. And they are uh, U.S. Code sections, uh, beginning uh, 5 U.S. Code uh, 2302 and, uh, and beyond. So you're immediately confronted as a lay person or as a pro se, meaning you're not represented by an attorney. You're immediately confronted with some pretty significant uh, laws and regulations of the federal government. And as I've said on other actions, not only Merit Systems Protection Board actions, but national security actions, when you receive a statement of reasons or a, a notice of proposed action, a NOPA, all of these actions brought by the federal government have very severe consequences if you miss the filing deadline. And uh, many of you don't know what to do. You seek help, perhaps, from a union representative, and uh, you don't get the necessary help. Uh, you don't know where to turn, um, and you wait. I think you're thinking about what to do, you're contemplating what to do, but you're not getting any answers. And what's happening is the clock is ticking. 
and your time to respond is getting less and less. And then you want to throw this to an attorney and you get shocked to learn the fees. And the fees in this area of law can be astronomical. At the Edmonds Law Firm, we quote a flat fee for each step in the process so that clients only pay for what's necessary. And we did the same thing in this case where our client came to us with 10 days left on the clock and he had received a motion for loss of jurisdiction. So when the court got that, uh, the court issued a order and the order was to both parties but I'm going to go over that order and just give you an idea of how complex this gets. What I'm suggesting is that if your job was important and if get re and if getting reinstated is important, then don't try and teach yourself a body of law that many lawyers take years to learn and uh, hire an attorney that's experienced that can navigate these waters with you and uh, and respond. No attorney can guarantee or promise a result. These cases are complex, they're difficult. Every client's case is different. But uh, for a person that's not trained and not a licensed attorney to try and do the formal response to these motions, let alone attend depositions and meet at settlement conferences is a, a huge task. So in this case, I'm looking at a typical order that indeed a judge issued. And uh, the very first sentence is important. He says, there is a question whether this appeal is within the board's jurisdiction. The appeal was filed by the employee, by you. You got terminated or suspended or uh, you got downgraded or something serious happened to your job and uh, an action was taken against you by the federal government you didn't like it so you filed an appeal and that's what the judge is referring to here he says there's a question whether this appeal is within the board's jurisdiction and the word jurisdiction means simply the board's power to hear this case can the board proceed and i'm talking about the merit systems protection board can it proceed with this case uh, based on the facts. If the board does not have the power over your case or the right to hear your case, then the board will dismiss the action. And that's what the government has asked in this case by filing a motion for uh, lack of jurisdiction. It's saying the board does not have the power. The judge has told our client in this written form, the appellant must meet to show that the board should not dismiss this appeal for lack of jurisdiction, as well as how to prove the claim on the merits. So it's a two-pronged response that you as the employee must prepare. You, you must show the board why it has jurisdiction, and then you must show the basis or merits of your claim. You don't have to prove it. Uh, but you have to state sufficient facts and details to show that your claim has merit. And then the judge goes on to say, I order the parties to follow the procedures set below. Now, this was a court order that the judge issued 
it's over 10 pages long and it contains all kinds of requirements that you must meet and you must meet them as he presents them and uh this case involved a whistleblower and uh it's called an IRA appeal, which is individual right of action. And uh, you can become a whistleblower by uh, engaging in activity that's protected. And uh, the judge in this case talks to you about that. The judge tells you in a whistleblower action, you must first prove by a preponderance of the evidence that you brought your whistleblower or other complaints to the attention of the government. The Office of Special Counsel sought corrective action for it and exhausted certain procedural remedies. So you must take some steps ahead of time before filing a whistleblower action. And you can call us at 800-481-2526. You also have to show that you exhausted the administrative remedies available to you and they are prescribed in the regulations. You have to exhaust your administrative remedies before filing your uh, whistleblower action. So by definition, the judge tells you that a whistleblowing disclosure is defined as a formal or informal communication or transmission, but does not include a communication concerning policy decisions that lawfully exercise discretionary authority unless the employee or applicant providing the disclosure reasonably believes that the evidence, any violation of a law, rule, or regulation, or gross mismanagement of funds or an abuse of authority uh, is a substantial danger to the public or safety. So there are some very specific and uh, necessary requirements that you have to show uh, in your response to a uh, loss of jurisdiction. Um, I'm not gonna go through this entire order, uh, but you must meet the requirements of this court order. And uh, it's a daunting task, but it can be done. And we have done uh, dozens and dozens of these, and um, we're happy to help you. At the end of the order is another important item I want to bring to your attention, and it's called required submissions. Um, the board is requiring you uh, to prove that you exhausted your uh, administrative uh, remedies. And it goes on to say, to you, the employee, or in this case, he says the word appellant, I order the appellant to file statements accompanied by evidence to prove the following. Number one, that what you disclosed was a protected disclosure activity. Number two, you made the disclosures or engaged in the activities. Number three, the individual to whom you made any disclosures. Number four, why your belief in the truth of any disclosures was reasonable. Number five, the action the agency took or failed to take or threatened to take 
against you because of your disclosure. Number six, why you believe a disclosure activity was a contributing factor to the action the government took against you. That is, they fired you, and you're saying that they fired you because you're a whistleblower. Number seven, the date of your complaint to the Office of Special Counsel. In other words, when did you file this complaint to the government uh, internally? You have to show that you filed the complaint and that uh, the matters you raised in it and the date of the OSC notified you it was terminating its investigation of your complaint. So the judge wants this person to show that you filed this complaint with the OSC and that they denied your complaint, or he says evidence that 120 days have passed since you filed the complaint. And so these are all the requirements that the judge wants you to prove with evidence. Then what happens is you come into our office at the Edmonds Law Firm and you say, this is too much for me to handle. I don't have the ability or capability to prepare the research and the documents. I want you to do it. And so we prepare a very, very detailed response. And uh, our responses are, in this case, it was 15 pages long. And it's entitled, Appellant's Response to Order on Jurisdiction. And we start out with a statement of the facts, which you are assigned a legal team in our office, and you work with that legal team. And uh, we put together a statement of facts. Then we put together the second section called points and authorities, which is really a statement of the law. Only now the law is the laws that are favorable to us, to you as our client, we argue the law and the statutes as well as cases that are favorable. The third section in our response is called argument. And we argue that we've met the jurisdictional standards for appeal and for an adverse action. And we argue the law and we argue the facts. And then we might include a section that says uh, we rebut or we don't agree with uh, the action taken by the government and here's why. So this document is a legal document. It's called a pleading. It's signed by an attorney and dated, and it's got to be properly filed uh, with the court. And it has evidence. So there you have it. You know, you, you're, you're confronted with, first of all, understanding the requirements uh, to respond to a loss of jurisdiction. And then you're uh, confronted with the necessary evidence that you have to bring forward and the arguments that you must be, bring forward to respond to the government's motion for loss of jurisdiction. Uh, then you have to overcome the filing requirements. You just can't write a handwritten letter or sit down at your uh, computer and type out a one or two page letter. That's insufficient and uh, will not prevail. You've got to do a formal response. It's got to be typed. It's got to have the case captioned, and it's got to have the language and the statutes and the laws that apply to your case. So the Edmonds Law Firm is happy 
to help you with this. We've been doing it for clients across the United States. We have several resources for you besides calling our office. You can also uh, visit our website. We have uh, a number of videos for free on YouTube for you to look at. And of course, we have this resource, which is uh, these podcasts. And uh, they're done for you. Uh, no cost to clients and people that listen. We're thrilled to have this opportunity to present this to you because we have one goal in mind, and that is that you are treated fairly by the federal government. And you cannot count on the attorneys representing the government to assist you. And you can't count on them to tell you what the laws are or um, what you should do when you receive their documents. That's not their job. Their job is to make sure that uh, your termination occurs. Their job is to make sure that uh, you do not prevail and uh, they will not talk about defects in their case. Uh, they will exaggerate the allegations or defects in your case and make you feel that you don't stand a chance in this uh, contest. And uh, we are here to tell you that in many, many cases, you do stand a chance. And in many, many cases, you can prevail and you can get monetary damages, attorney's fees, back pay, and a myriad of other remedies. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about protecting you. And it's about making sure that you know that uh, you have a shot at getting reinstated or overcoming adverse action by the federal government. We're at 800 Four eight one two five two six. This is Attorney Alan Edmonds, and I want to thank you for listening.